Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of theirs. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nolan. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Um, John, thanks so much for how you opened the service. Uh, Yeah, I really needed that, so thanks for reminding me of... Uh, who is with us as we head into this new season, and this stand is not cooperating, by the way. I'm, not, I'm used to using a podium, so we'll, we'll get there. Uh, if you're new joining us for the first time, uh, you've kind of walked into a practice service, as you will, because our first public service is next Sunday, but really glad that you're with us on our on our first Sunday here. And uh, for those of you who, uh, or for all the volunteers, rather, who helped make this possible, I just want to say Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You guys put in so many hours, and I know we're continuing to do that. And so thank you. Kelsey also thanks you. And we're here. We made it, more or less. So we're here just excited to move into this next stage with you guys. So we're just going to pick right up in Matthew, looking at how Jesus brings us into a better kingdom. And what this means is that when Christ saves us, this doesn't mean he just forgives us in some kind of abstract sense. But he brings us into an entirely new way of living and viewing the world. And what we're going to see today is Jesus wants to reframe how we process and think about anxiety. Anxiety, no one here struggles with anxiety, right? Um, I, for me personally, I found that I think I, I have a greater struggle with anxiety in my 30s than I did in my 20s. So if you're in your 20s, you're, you're welcome. Uh, I know a number of you here, you know, wrestle with anxiety. And this is what I appreciate about Jesus is that he, he addresses the tangible, earthy stuff that we deal with. And uh, just the other week, I came across a, a thoughtful study that, it was, that was looking at anxiety, depression rates in the more uh, developed world, you could say. So looking at the U.S., the U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. And what they found is, I mean, over the, the past 13 years or so, I mean, it's pretty much indisputable 
looking at objective measurements, anxiety, depression rates among people, especially teenagers, and even more specifically teenage girls, has skyrocketed. You know, so looking at uh, metrics such as, you know, psychiatric hospitalizations, suicide attempts, self-harm. It's, it's awful. Um, and I think it's, it says something, it, this speaks to something about our human condition where it, it seems like, because right now we're the most physically safe and most materially well-off group of people in human history. And yet we seem to be as anxious, if not more than ever. I think this says something about our human condition. And so when you look at this here, you know, Jesus, he repeats himself multiple times. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Stop being anxious. And it seems like Jesus is being insensitive. You know, it's like, yeah, thanks, Jesus, because I, I want to take Xanax just to get through the day. But he's being a good counselor, and he, he really wants you to see that you can actually develop a kind of freedom from worry that only happens through relationship to him. And so let's look at this passage, uh, asking these three questions. So first, what, what type of anxiety is Jesus talking about? Next, what makes anxiety worse, according to Jesus? And then number three, what are ways that we can find freedom in the midst of anxiety? Okay, so what type of anxiety is Jesus talking about? What is it that makes anxiety worse? And then how can we find real freedom in the midst of anxiety? So first, number one, uh, what kind of anxiety is Jesus talking about here? So he uses this word for anxiety six times in the passage. And this is a word that, at least in this context here, means a inner psychological, uh, dis- an inner, inner psychological disruption that, that disturbs your life, okay? Or some kind of inner psych- psychological warfare that makes it really hard for you just to think and move and be in the world, or you can put it a more simple way, just it means to be preoccupied with worry. And somebody is worried over there. Um, and here Jesus is dif- differentiating between two kinds of anxiety. So fight or flight anxiety, and then the more ambient, ongoing type of worry. And so fight or flight anxiety, think of an alarm clock. You know, it's, it, blare, it blares, it goes off, and it wakes you up to the need for something to happen. That is a good and healthy kind of anxiety. I think back to when I was around tw- 10 year, uh, I was around 10 years old or so, and we had a snow day, and so me and my good buddy Jamie, we, this was before helicopter parenting, so we just, you know, go off into the wilderness by ourselves, and we go to a, we found a frozen lake, and I walk out halfway onto the frozen lake, and I heard one of the worst sounds in the world, you know, which was that, that, that growling sound of ice starting to crack, and my body went into fight or flight, okay, so I could choose, I could fight the lake, or I could flee the lake. And I chose flight, flight with all my might. And that's probably why I'm still here today, because that, that is a good kind of anxiety. But the anxiety Jesus is talking about is, so if an alarm clock is good for 10 seconds, I mean, think about having an alarm clock in between your ears that doesn't stop for 10 hours straight or when you're trying to sleep. Some of you guys may know that feeling very well. And this is the type of anxiety that it comes from just ongoing speculation, right? It's mainly concerned with the future. It asks what if questions. You know, what if I don't have enough money? What if this happens with my job? What, what if this person doesn't think well of me? What if, what if, what if? This is the type of anxiety Jesus is talking about that can make it so, so hard to live. And as we move forward into what makes anxiety worse, I think it's wor- worth it, especially in our moment where there's a greater awareness, often for good, but sometimes for worse, of just therapeutic categories. 
And that is, like, there is a, a clinical anxiety. And this is what I love about God in the scriptures is he, he tells us throughout the scriptures that because we are body, soul beings, you may have a kind of anxiety that comes from just your natural wiring in your brain because sin has fractured, right, the physical elements of our bodies as well, or maybe past trauma. Okay, it's your body has responded in such a way that you carry anxiety in your being. And so please hear, you, there is probably part of your anxiety that doesn't just come from a, hey, if you just trusted God more, you wouldn't be anxious anymore. Okay, you don't see that in the scriptures, and so we are, we're very pro-therapy here. Like, I've been to therapy. Many, of people, many people in our church have been to therapy. And so that may be part of your story. And yet, what we need to hear here is, regardless of what kind of anxiety you have, you know, even if it's 90% clinical, Jesus still has something for us here. Okay? And he still wants all of us to see how can we learn to walk with him and obey him no matter what kind of anxiety we have. Okay? Uh, but first, that's, this is number one, the, the kind of anxiety assignment is mainly this preoccupation with worry. That's, that's the first point. So number two, what is it that makes our anxiety or our worry worse? And here you see this in verse 19 to 24. This is the context. And in verse 19 through 24, he's describing two kinds of people. He says there's two ways to live. You can either live for treasures on earth, or you can live for treasures in heaven. And treasures on earth are mainly things that are self-focused and concerned with the here and now. Okay, so some examples of treasures on earth. Um, your retirement and your bank account. Your image. Okay, how much do you impress people or do not impress people? Your relationship status. You know, do you have food on the plate or not? Um, any kind of self-identity that you've constructed apart from the one Jesus gives you. These are examples of treasures on earth. And then he describes the other kind of person who sets their heart and their life on treasures in heaven. And for years, this has been a big growth area for me. For years, I read treasures in heaven as this idea of, okay, I just, I obey God now, and then I get some kind of reward in the future. And Jesus does use language like that, so it is included. However, you know, like if you've ever heard the, the phrase, especially if you grew up in the church, it's like, well, I guess I better tithe or go on this mission trip, or yeah, my mom told me to clean my room, and I'm going to do it because treasure's in heaven, you know. However, in Matthew's gospel, heaven, as we've been seeing, is often synonymous with where God is now, or God himself. It's also synonymous with God's will. And so what it looks like, the kind of person who lays up treasures in heaven— it's the kind of person who lives in a moment-by-moment enjoyment of God's presence with you right now, and then doing his will in the present, which Jesus has described. All of the Sermon on the Mount, okay, talking about how we love other people in relationship, that is doing God's will. And so treasures in heaven, it's a way of by which you enjoy God's presence and obey him. You enjoy a kind of internal investment today, Okay, because God's salvation isn't just about God getting you into heaven, but about getting heaven into you, as one author put it. Okay, and so to sum it up, treasures on earth, mostly self-focused. Treasures on earth, okay, to keep it really simple, it's, it's God-centered and other-oriented ways of living. That's treasures in heaven. Now, what does that have to do with worry? 
It has everything to do with worry. And that's why you know, often when we read this, especially because if, if you're like me, you see these two different headings in the Bible, it seems like these are two disconnected thoughts, but they're actually connected. That's why in verse 25, when he jumps from treasures in heaven to anxiety, he says, therefore, because these two sections are connected. And it has everything to do with worry because when the seat of your heart's trust is in earthly treasure— puts you in a fundamentally fragile position. And Jesus describes this in verse 19 when he says, treasures on earth are subject to moth and rust and thieves breaking in and stealing. So moth, you can think of just the natural course of events, rust or time, or thieves, other people. So any kind of self-focused here and now thing, right, whether that how other people perceive me, the type of home I live in, the lifestyle I have, all of these things are subject to just course of events, other people, or time. And your heart intuits this, okay? Even if, if you haven't connected the dots yourself, your heart knows that these things are fragile. And so I think that's why, getting back to the beginning, I think that's why it's almost like the more we have in terms of safety and material possessions, we actually get more anxious. And so what Jesus is getting at here, he's not saying earthly treasure is bad, so don't work hard to put food on the table. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, do not put your heart's fundamental trust and hope in earthly treasure. Okay, or put another way, worry reveals worship. Okay, worry reveals where your heart's trust is. So if you worry a lot about what other people think of you, you probably worship or put your heart's trust in impressing other people. Okay, if you worry a lot about your finances, okay, then your heart's trust is probably in right? Financial security, comfort, maybe status. See? So if you want to know about, like, what is your God, what do you worry about? That's a, that's a sobering question. And Jesus isn't being harsh here. Okay? He's the good counselor where he's essentially asking, he's saying, do you like worrying? Like, does worrying feel good? No? Okay. Okay, then you can actually find freedom by stop white-knuckling earthly treasures and instead orient your life around loving other people, as I've described, and knowing and enjoying God. And just to give a, a brief example of how this played out in my life, so our church planted at the end of 2019, right before COVID hit. And, you know, so our church plants, and then COVID happens, and quarantine, and all that. And, you know, I think we all hit that point where we realized, oh my goodness, this is, this is going to be far longer than a two weeks to flatten the curve kind of thing. Like, we're in this for the long haul. And I started to spin out. You know, so I just started, you know, because church plants are hard enough in the best of times. So I'm thinking, you know, how are our, how are our sheep going to get the going to get the care that they need? You know, is our church going to be around in three months? Am I going to need to start job searching? And I'm getting more anxious, more anxious, asking, you know, what if, what if, what if? And so I got on a, a Zoom call with one of my mentors, and he's like, all right, you know, so what's, what's going on with you? I just told him, well, I'm anxious about this, I'm anxious about this. And he goes, he said, Steve, say the church folds in five months. I'm like, all right, why are you my mentor? And he just goes, say it, say it folds in five months. I'm like, okay. He goes, so what? And I was like, and then I realized I didn't really have a— good answer. And his point was, the reason why I had moved beyond a healthy worry, right, that would prompt me to strategize well and reach out to you guys to make sure that you're doing well. The reason why I was becoming consumed with worry 
is because I had made the stability of the church, right, or even your all spiritual condition, something good, I had made that the thing my heart was looking to for grounding and stability, you see? Okay, and so this is what makes our anxiety worse, is when we cling to any kind of earthly treasure, wanting it to do what only God can do. Okay, so now let's look at number three. How can we find real freedom in the midst of worry and anxiety? And I, you know, I, I doubt that each of you are going to walk out of here like free from worry ever again. But these things have been really helpful for me. And I, I, I trust it will at least set us in the right trajectory here when it comes to facing anxiety and worry. And the first thing we need to see, how does Jesus help us be free of anxiety and worry? First, we have to see what does Jesus not promise? What does he not promise? And so look here in verse 26. You know, he's saying, you know, so don't be so anxious about your life and we're going to eat or drink. And then he says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now for years, I read this passage as God materially cares for the birds. And since he makes sure the that the birds have everything they need, you'll have everything you need. But that logic breaks down really quickly as soon as you start asking just some simple questions. Do bad things ever happen to birds? Yes, bad things happen to birds. Okay, even in Jesus' own context, birds were used for the sacrificial system. So he knew that bad things happen to birds. And also in the next metaphor he gives, where he's talking about the lilies of the field, he even says himself they're thrown into the fire. Okay, so bad things happen to birds. So that's exhibit A. Exhibit B is just look at the world. Okay, are there people who love and trust Jesus and they starve or just bad things happen to them? Yes, it happens all the time. Okay, and then number three, Jesus himself in the end of this passage in verse 34, he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's acknowledging that each day, you're going to have a lot of trouble. And so, what's he saying? First, he's saying, even if you are so faithful to God, and you see this in Jesus' own life, right? That's the, that's the next exhibit. Even if you're so faithful to God, some really searing, gut-wrenching things are going to happen to you. Okay, I've never promised anything Okay, more or less on that this side of heaven. However, his point of bringing up the birds, I think, is that birds and lilies, they don't chase after a worry because they're incapable of doing it. And so what Jesus is saying is, come what may, you can actually become the kind of person who becomes free of worry because your deepest dependence and your heart's trust, your deepest hope for sustenance, for intimacy, for love, for being part of a beauty that will never fade, that is drawing from a well that can never run dry and will only get better with time. God and his kingdom. So he's inviting us into a kind of deeper dependence that isn't subject to thieves, moth, or rust. Okay, so that's number one. He, he does not promise, we have to get this, okay? He does not promise everything will be rosy for us in this life. So that's the first thing. Uh, and then number two, um, he, you could say he wants us to develop a redeeming view of mental health. 
a redeeming view. And I'm putting this obviously in, in pretty modern language, but when you think about how we view of health and redemption when it comes to anxiety, uh, depression, all of the above, I think we're primarily influenced by two philosophies. So the first philosophy is like Christian culture philosophy, which says that if you just trusted God more, okay, you wouldn't have anxiety, you wouldn't have panic attacks, you wouldn't have intrusive thoughts, you wouldn't have hallucinations, you'd stop being so hopeless, you'd stop being depressed because you have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the first philosophy a lot of us are affected by. But the other philosophy that we're, I think, equally affected by is that of our modern therapeutic culture, which primarily defines growth and personal wellness wellness in terms of our inner psychological state. Okay, and so you are healthy if you, you know, God will re- God's redeeming you if your anxiety symptoms and depressive symptoms are lessening. Just you have to understand, like, this idea of health is mainly how I'm feeling. That's a very historically and culturally narrow phenomenon, just how we think about the good life and how we think about health. But I, I think Jesus is inviting us into something actually different and better. And one of the places you see this is, he says, you know, don't consume yourself with these questions of what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, the Gentiles, this is a term for the people outside of Israel at this time or outside of God's family. And for the disciples of Jesus listening to him teach here, the Gentiles were mainly who? The Romans. In other words, the oppressors. So he's saying the oppressors around you, like those who have taken everything from you and continue to take, they're the kinds of people who are obsessed with earthly treasure, okay? How much security do I have? How much comfort do I have? And they're, they're going to push anyone aside to get what they want. Why? Because they're not the kinds of people who believe they have a father in heaven who's going to look after them. So he says, no, no matter what is happening in your life, you have a heavenly father who will be with you in the midst of anxiety, depression, fear. And so what this means is healing for you here or redemption for you here, okay, before Christ renews all things. I have seen God do incredible things with almost just zapping away someone's anxiety or depression. However, I think often what redemption looks like is a slower, more mundane process where your symptoms are still there, but you learn to have a treasured grasp of God's presence with you even when anxiety or hopelessness are banging on the door. And that is often, I think, what redemption looks like in the here and now. And just as an example from my own life, so this was toward the end of 2020. And generally, I, like overall, I feel like most of my life, I'm for the most part kind of even keel. I don't know, you can ask Kelsey, but generally I feel like that's kind of my just natural disposition. But I started to get, you know, mild panic attacks at home. And it would get, it would become the worst at church where I'm sitting in the pew, you know, in the ser- especially like right before the sermon's about to start. And I feel like there's a, a vice around my heart okay, and my heart's starting to beat faster and my vision's going dizzy and I can't even think straight. And I'm thinking nothing other than I want to run and I want, I want to be anywhere other than having to walk up in that pulpit in two minutes. And I don't know how many of you guys remember this, but there were some Sundays where I had to walk up and just like put my manuscript right in front of me and just read it line by line because I couldn't focus. I couldn't think straight. That was all I could do. And 
So there was a lot of things I had to work through. I talked with, with Kelsey, with my elders. I saw a counselor. But one of the things I had to learn is, okay, God, I've been praying and praying and praying and praying, and these symptoms aren't going away. So what am I going to do? And what I had to learn was to walk up here and just have a constant prayer going on in my mind saying, God, please just hold me for these 30 minutes as I help me say something and then hold these people as they walk out of the church. And guys, I just, what I learned in that season, and I'm continuing to learn it. Okay, I'm even a little anxious right now. Okay, what I'm continuing to learn is far more important than my anxiety or feelings of hopelessness going away is the firm knowledge that I have the Father's hand. And so it is for you. The best thing you need is to know that you have the Father's hand. And that is the kind of redemptive view of mental health that Jesus is inviting us into, okay, regardless of, of what's going on up here. Okay, so that's number two. Develop a more redeeming view of mental health has been really helpful for me. I hope it is for you. And then number three, okay, we heard what Jesus doesn't say. So let's look at what does he promise? Do you promise anything here, Jesus? Okay, in addition to what we just heard about his presence being with us. And so let's go back to the birds again. And he says, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Okay, and we mainly think of this in terms of individualistic terms, and that's not wrong, but Jesus often uses corporate language when he speaks. And so what Jesus is saying here is, yes, God does care about the environment and the animals. He made them, and he's, we're going to have an environment and animals in the new earth, okay, at least from, from what I could gather, okay? So God cares about these things. However, his highest concern is humanity, like by far. His highest concern is for humanity, people made in God's image, you and me. And so in other words, if the storyline of Scripture tells us anything— Okay, it's that against impossible odds, and no matter what you and I do, okay, or say to the contrary, God refuses to give up on his beloved. Okay, and he continues to, if you're here and you know Jesus, that's because God reached in and made your heart come alive. Come alive. Okay, he renewed your heart, he brings you in his family, and he sticks with you, and he guarantees that he'll bring you home. And this is the promise and this is the care that, that God has for you in the midst of everything going on. And this is the promise Jesus gives. And maybe like Jesus' disciples, you're hearing this and you're thinking, okay, but that sounds really abstract or that just doesn't really seem like it helps me. And that's our problem. We miss how good this is. And here's an example that, uh, that, that may help. So uh, we're, Acts 29 is one of the networks that we're in. And at one of the X29 gatherings I went to, there's a pastor in our network up in Pennsylvania. His name is AJ. And he told this story about when he was, I think he was eight or nine years old. And he says, you know, I was eight or nine years old, and I go to school, and there's a fair. And I show up at the fair, and I see, you know, in the corner of the gym, like, light shinings on a gumball machine. You know, crystal clear glass, bright red base. And so I run up to the gumball machine, magic gumballs inside. And, you know, there's one of those, I don't know how many of you all have seen a gumball dispenser, but those used to be a thing. Okay, there's a dispenser thingy, and it says, you know, 75 cents for a gumball. And he says, well, being the brilliant boy I was, I knew what 75 cents looked like. Three shiny quarters or coins about this big. And so I go home, and I'm forming my case as I walk home. Okay, I'm going to ask my parents for 75 cents to take to school tomorrow so that I can get a gumball. But he's thinking, 
my parents are so frugal. Even as I'm asking my parents for 75 cents to go get a gum, I know they're so stingy. They're not actually going to give it to me, but I'm going to try anyways. So we asked him, you know, for the 75 cents, and his mom's like, oh, you know, like, like good parent answers will think about it, you know, to kind of buy, buy yourself some time. So the next day, he grabs his, his lunch bag, and he goes to school, and the fair's still going on, and there's the gumball machine. So he walks over to the gumball machine, and he opens his lunch bag to look for the 75 cents. And to his utter disappointment and anger, inside his lunch bag is a dollar bill. Right, because he knows what 75 cents looks like. Okay, three shiny quarters. And so he runs home and he, you know, he bursts through the, the front door and he waves the dollar bill at his mom. And he says, I asked you for 75 cents and you couldn't even give that to me? And she goes, you foolish boy. Your father has given you exactly what you asked for. In fact, he's given you more than you asked for, just like he always does. And the point is, how often do you look for what you think is the solution to your problems? Okay, a longing you desperately want fulfilled. Okay, your anxiety or your feelings of hopelessness to go away. And you shake your fist at the heavens, saying, God, why don't you do anything for me? Why don't you care about me? All this for the God who is willing to let his own son be stretched out on a Roman cross where he gave and he gave and he gave to you until he had nothing left to give. And as we read in our call to worship, he who did not even spare his own son, his only son for you, how much more will he not with him also graciously give you all things? And so when Jesus says, do not worry, he's not being harsh. He's not being out of touch. This is one of the kindest and most compassionate commands he can give you. And so just, just close your eyes for a moment and just hear Jesus say, Jesus does not want me to worry. Jesus really does not want me to worry. The more you hear that command, the more you realize just how kind and tender it is. Because what Jesus wants you to know in your bones, that what is most true about you is you are made in God's image. You are God's child. And he has made a promise to you okay, that, his steadfast, that his steadfast love will not depart from you. This promise is steadfast. It is irrevocable. And everything in this world is on a trajectory to the day where God does bring in a new dawn where everything that is evil will be wiped away. And everything that is good will be redeemed and everything that you've lost will be restored to you. And on that day when you do see Jesus, you will never feel anxious or hopeless again. Let's pray.